It was a Florida far-right fiesta. The legislative session that ended last Friday left no doubt that this state is now more deeply red. But is it also more deeply authoritarian? This is the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Paget. In the next hour, I'll talk with the editorial page editors of South Florida's three major newspapers. We'll examine the blast of legislation whose undeniable focus was the culture wars and helping Governor Ron DeSantis win the MAGA voters he'll need if he seeks the Republican nomination for president. We'll also discuss the effects measures like abortion restriction and immigration crackdown will have in South Florida. And has state authority now smothered local home rule? All that coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, bienvindo. The 60-day gathering that ended last Friday in Tallahassee was a Florida legislative session unlike any before it. The right-wing raft of bills it passed was the most radical sign yet that this is no longer a competitive two-party state and that Florida's Republican Party has virtual carte blanche on this peninsula. Leading the charge of mostly conservative culture war legislation was Governor Ron DeSantis, who made Florida's House and Senate chambers feel like his rubber stamp assembly. After they approved measures that tacitly ban abortion but allow concealed guns to be carried without permits or that give wealthy families school vouchers but make it a felony to bring undocumented immigrants into the state, the only question left is, will it be enough to help DeSantis win the GOP presidential nomination? What's your opinion of this unprecedented Florida legislative session? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me to discuss the session and its effects on South Florida is Nancy Ankrum, editorial page editor of the Miami Herald. And Nancy, we want to say a hearty congratulations for the Pulitzer Prize you and your team won this week for your series Broken Promises. Thank you very much. Also with us are Steve Bosquet, the South Florida Sentinel's editorial page editor, and Tony Doris, editorial page editor for the Palm Beach Post. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup, all of you. Thanks. Thank you. The migrant chaos we're watching at the U.S. southern border today, and, and that's an issue that inevitably moves in South Florida's direction, means we need to start with immigration today. I I just mentioned the new immigration law Governor DeSantis signed this week, cracking down on undocumented immigrants. It makes it a criminal offense to transport five or more undocumented migrants or even one undocumented minor into Florida. It makes it easier for the governor to expel them out of Florida. Nancy Ankrum, does the border crisis make this one a winner for Governor DeSantis? It makes it a winner because the optics are good. This is a tough law. And this is what happens when Congress, when the federal government just will not move on this issue and debate and pass comprehensive immigration reform. So it's a good look for him and it's great timing. Um, We will not know though, whether this can really be carried out by the local jurisdictions. This does an awful lot. It makes a felony, not only if you bring someone into the state, an undocumented immigrant, but if you give a relative a ride to work 
um, or, or a ride to a, you know, some the, the hospital or the emergency room. Um, it, it, it cracks down on mig undocumented migrant labor. It's going to end community funded programs that give these undocumented migrants ID cards. And again, it's going to toughen the penalties against those who transport uh, undocumented immigrants. Right. We will see what the execution looks like, though. Right. And, and Steve Boscate, you know, I, I mentioned, is it a winner for Governor DeSantis, but is it a loser for Florida, especially economically, when you consider what a pillar of the economy in this state undocumented migrants are? Yes, uh, potentially, no question. Um, you know, the, 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 the reality that they don't want to talk about in Tallahassee is that the pillars of agriculture and tourism uh, would fall to pieces overnight without immigrant labor and without, in a number of cases, many cases, undocumented immigrant labor. It's just a fact of life in the state and Floridians see it every day. Um, yeah. And there, there was a I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. Just that. Um, uh, th there was a, a lot of mobilization uh, among uh, grassroots groups around the state uh, against this bill. It didn't do any good. When you have a supermajority legislature controlled by one party, they can they can literally do anything they want. And, and we're seeing the effects of that, uh, as you said, at the open without a competitive two-party system in this state. Right, and, and a very important Republican voting bloc in this state, Latino evangelicals uh, were very much against it, and that didn't seem to uh, have, have much an effect uh, either. Tony Doris, um, what about, you know, the, the health and, and other sort of humane considerations here? The fact that so many undocumented immigrants now will be uh, very, very hesitant to go to hospitals because they're, they're afraid that they're, you know, they're going to be exposed if, if, if they've come out of the shadows that way. Agree. That's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, to to force people who are already uh, in difficult situation uh, to make it more difficult for them or fearful to seek medical care is beyond inhumane. It's just cruel. And uh, I totally agree with what Steve said. Um, the strange thing to me about um, the opposition to this is that it's been so quiet. The corporate, the corporations, the big agricultural concerns. Um, all the hospitality industry in Palm Beach and throughout South Florida, uh, where have they been? I mean, they rely so heavily um, upon these immigrants. Um, and uh, I should say the, uh, exactly what Nancy said. This is an issue that has to be dealt with at the national level. Right. Uh, otherwise, uh, anything can happen, especially in our state house where right. there's just no rains. Right. Lucy from Homestead, which, as we know, is a a very prominent place for undocumented migrants in this state. Uh, she feels the gerrymandering allows this sort of legislation to pass here in Florida. Lucy, welcome to the South Florida Roundup. You're on the air. Hi there. Go ahead, Lucy. Oh, hi. My question is, um, how, how did that even happen that he was so skillful in... Uh, redistricting or whatever he did in northern Florida to allow him to get the supermajority in the legislature. Okay. Uh, how did that get by so many people? Okay. Uh, uh, Nancy, uh, can, can you maybe just illuminate uh, callers like Lucy a little bit? To, to I think this gets to the question of how did the Republican Party become this dominant? 
in, in the legislature to be able to pass measures like this? Well, it wasn't just gerrymandering, gerrymandering, uh, though that did play a role, for instance, getting rid of two uh, majority black congressional districts. Uh, of course, we're, we're talking about the legislature. There's also, I would also say that the, the political mood, the political environment really gave Republicans a boost. And they made the case across the state including in Miami-Dade County, and the Democrats never were able to muster um, credible pushback. And so we, this is what we see. All right. Now, as I mentioned, this will go down as the legislature's culture wars session. Governor DeSantis and the Republicans most of all wanted to show the party's presidential primary voters that Florida is where, quote, woke goes to die. And perhaps nowhere did they drive that home more than in education. Nancy, again to you, let's start with the ultra-expansive school voucher measure. School, South Florida schools are already considered underfunded. Could this law's potential drain on public education resources make that even worse? Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, this is not something that uh, the DeSantis administration invented. This, we have been marching toward this point ever since uh, Jeb Bush's administration as governor um, in bringing charter schools to the fore, in diverting money to, uh, you know, from, from uh, public schools. So this just seems to be the next natural step. It's going to do a lot of things. It's going to, it eliminates income eligibility requirements that are in place now. So any and everyone, um, you know, with some exceptions can get um, a, a voucher to but, go to a charter school, to go to a private school. But Steve, what are the upsides of this, you know, so-called parent choice, school choice measure, according to the bill supporters? According to the bill supporters, the upside is that you are um, opening up an opportunity for many, many families across the state who cannot now afford to go to a private or parochial school. They're going to get, in effect, an $8,000 voucher paid for by us taxpayers uh, to do that. Uh, what they haven't uh, focused enough attention on and what Floridians are not prepared for is that this is going to potentially cause tremendous havoc in public school districts. I've had school board members tell me they have no idea how to project what their enrollment is going to be uh, in next August in Miami-Dade or Broward County uh, with so many uh, young kids moving to the parochial and private system. And Tony, can Florida even afford this? Well, that's it. The I don't think the uh, financial calculations have been uh, very precise. Um, I think something like five to eight thousand dollars per student that goes to a private school uh, will be handed to those schools, and that's money that uh, presumably could have gone to our public schools. So, if your thought was there should be a public education for everyone, and we we should use tax money to invest in improving those systems, um, that money is gone. Yeah. Um, Steve, I know you were also particularly struck by the bills DeSantis signed this week that, one, make it more difficult for public employee unions to operate, especially teachers unions, and two, further reduce term limits for local school board members. Right. Um, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, even though Republicans enjoy supermajorities and they control the governor's office, um, they 
they are not finished by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we saw this session, they, they made it harder to register new voters in Florida. And what they've done is they've gone after public sector, public employee unions. Uh, I thought this was a very important issue. We spotlighted it quite a bit in the Sun Sentinel. Um, the Democrats have lost so much ground politically in the state that really the bulwarks of the Democratic Party are, it is a combination of uh, trial bar, trial lawyer support, which is significant in this state, and public sector unions. Right. Uh, the Republic, one quick point, the Republicans very carefully, surgically made the, the union busting efforts. It just basically ended a system of automatic paycheck deductions for union dues, but only for certain unions, only the unions that are closely identified with Democrats. Now, Tony, most of the education measures were more focused on erasing the discussion of gender and race in Florida schools. The so-called don't say gay law was expanded. Even the use of students' pronouns were regulated. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion is now banned at state colleges and universities. The governor says this is about eradicating political indoctrination in classrooms and campuses. Is it? Yeah, absolutely. And he, and it's not done yet because uh, the more institutions of higher education we have where he can put in his no, his own uh, choice of president, um, the more he's going to spread his new college uh, version of how schools should be run across the state. But remember also, I wanted to add, uh, you know, the, the don't say gay laws, people call it. Um, it first came in as, oh, well, you don't want kids that are in third grade or under talking about sex or things or gender or things like that. But then this session, they immediately moved it up to 12th graders. So, you yeah. know, the, and the worst part of it is simply marginalizing by doing that uh, entire sectors of our community. Right. In, 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 in at least dog, dog whistle fashion. Right. I'm Tim Padgett. You're listening to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about the effects of an unprecedented Florida legislative session. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Nancy, this brings us to another gender obsession issue here, transgender people, especially transgender youths. DeSantis indicated he will sign the bill that passed, which prohibits gender transition medical care for minors and restricts it for adults. There is a genuine medical debate about this issue regarding minors, but is this the right way for Florida to go about it? The medical debate should remain with medical professionals, with you, um, transgender youth who are working to find themselves and their parents. To legislate this makes a, well, we have seen this legislature wade into, with abortion, uh, wade into medical issues before that should be uh, private decisions, private issues. And so no, this does not help. The only thing it does is further stigmatize an already vulnerable population right. here. And Steve, it's of course hard to discuss this without mentioning the other gender obsession, drag shows and keeping children away from them. Was that bill, which also passed, really worth a state legislature's time? Well, as, as opinion editor of the Sun Sentinel, you know, I would say no, but uh, the Republicans see this as a winning issue or they wouldn't have spent all the time and energy they did on it. It was uh, it was remarkable to see uh, hundreds of drag queens 
and others and their supporters uh, marshalling uh, opposition to this bill in the Capitol this session. And but I wanted to say this briefly that, um, you know, uh, the, the same Republicans who are emphasizing parental choice in things like which school your kid attends don't want parents to make the decision about whether to bring their child to a drag show at the Broward Center for the Performing Arts. They want the legislature in Tallahassee to make that decision. And that's why Democrats were so enraged by this. And it's, it's, it was seen as, as demeaning, uh, again, and marginalizing a group. Uh, drag is a form of artistic expression. You want to go see a gra- drag show? Great. You don't want to go see one? That's fine, too. Right. So uh, but that that was that was a definite issue that dominated uh, the discourse. And this was the Republican Party that wanted government out of the way of the people, you know, freedom. We have we have uh, a bunch of white guys up in Tallahassee telling people what's right for them. We have Adam on the line from Miami Beach. He brings up another issue that's a question about of, of whether it was worth this legislature's time, and that's the Disney fracas between DeSantis and and Disney. Uh, Adam, uh, you're you're on the line. Uh, yeah, I, I think that as much as has been said, I, I think that we're severely underestimating what a dangerous person. Uh, Ron DeSantis says, I think he's by far the most dangerous person in the country right now. Uh, what he's doing is isolating groups that he doesn't like. He's picked the uh, trade unions that support Democrats and made special rules to crush them. He's picked Disney. He was fine with Disney when he got married there. He was fine for nine years, uh, six years when he was a congressman. He was fine for three years. Uh, when he was governor, and then when they said something he didn't like. It's not just that he said, I disagree, they shouldn't say that. Mm -hmm. He's using the power of the state to try and crush a private business. Right, thank you. It's the same thing that Putin is doing. It's the same thing that Xi Jinping is doing. That It's a pattern uh, that's very dangerous. Can you imagine if he's the president and he picks who he likes and who he doesn't like and has the ability to use the FBI and the IRS against them. There's no other politician doing that. Right. And and Adam, uh, what you're referring to when you when you uh, is, is the fact that Disney was criticizing DeSantis for his LGBTQ agenda. Tony, just in five seconds, your your opinion again, was this worthwhile legislation or just a DeSantis vendetta? It was just a vendetta. There's no I mean, they, they didn't hide the fact that and, and he didn't hide personally the fact that this is why he did it. He just doesn't. I agree with your caller that, you know, when DeSantis sees someone who doesn't agree with him or a group of people don't agree with him, it's time to legislate against them. Yeah. Well, still to come in our recap of Florida's legislative session, abortion restriction and gun liberalization. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're discussing the unprecedented Florida legislative session that ended last Friday and its likely effects on South Florida with Nancy Ankrum, editorial page editor of the Miami Herald, Steve Bosquet, her counterpart at the South Florida Sun Sentinel, and Tony Doris, their counterpart at the Palm Beach Post. Let us hear your thoughts about the bills that passed or didn't in Tallahassee this year. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Now, there were bills 
that passed that did address more urgent concerns than what we were just talking about. One that seems particularly important here in South Florida is the affordable housing law that was sponsored, not coincidentally, by two South Florida legislature, led, excuse me, legislators. It directs more than $700 million toward this effort. Nancy, will it be enough? It won't be enough, but it sure is a good start. And it does say that the legislature during this very strange session was paying attention to this very uh, critical issue for so many people, specifically in South Florida. All right. And, and Steve, the Sun Sentinel did applaud child health care expansion, for example, and, and, and other measures like tax breaks. Uh, tax break holidays, for example. Th these were things that the Sun Sentinel I saw did applaud. Why? Because um, it was a rare, uh, sadly, an incredibly rare example of bipartisan cooperation. I think that um, I think we have a responsibility, even in the opinion space at our major newspapers, that and, and I think we all do this well. Maybe the Republicans would say not enough. But uh, when we see examples of things that help Floridians you know, we should uh, we should point that out. There was a bipartisan effort to expand kid care eligibility, which provides affordable health insurance uh, for people uh, who are maybe um, of low income, modest income, but not so low that they qualify for Medicaid. There's a lot of people in that situation in Florida and particularly in South Florida. And how important so they, were, they, they, they how, attention how important were these tax breaks, would you say, that were passed? Uh, I think I think the tax breaks are basically gimmicks. I don't think they I don't think I think they did. I know that Senator Lauren Book is, is crowing about the fact that they made a permanent tax sales tax exemption from for uh, baby baby items, diapers, incontinence products, things like that. That's good. Uh, those products should not be taxed because we we've made a decision in the state many, many decades ago to exempt from sales tax, basically items of personal necessity like electricity, like rent. Mm -hmm. Those are not taxed by the sales tax. But I, I think sales tax holidays have gotten out of control. And I've been a longtime proponent of a systematic and intelligent uh, analysis of the tax structure and the sales tax exemptions that are running the many hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, Tony, one Tim, if I could. Sure. I'd like to go back just briefly to the issue of affordable housing, because I wanted to mention that while we're able to applaud them for seven hundred million dollars for what's now a crisis, it's important to note they helped cause the crisis very much so by of rating the Sadowski Fund, a specific fund that was set aside only to be used for affordable housing. And for mm -hmm. decades, they drained money out of that to use it for other things. So it's great that there's $700 million now being used for affordable housing. That's a good start. Right. But number one, uh, that hardly makes up for what they took out. And number two, they didn't address the major issue of affordable housing, which I'm sure you're gonna get to. Maybe this is a good segue for you property insurance rates. Oh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. But first, uh, I want to sort of steer away from the culture wars for a second and talk about bills that passed that could have a deeper impact on Floridians' health and security. I'm thinking specifically of the new law that prohibits abortion after six weeks, which is essentially an abortion ban and, and one that now lets people carry concealed guns without a permit. Nancy, how ironic is it that Florida's abortion law is now more restrictive than those in many Latin American countries? Yeah, there is there's pro-life and then there's pro-life, you know, isn't there? 
And uh, we knew that this six week abortion ban or ban on abortions after six weeks was coming. Uh, most unfortunate because so many women do not know they're even pregnant uh, at exactly. six. But we saw this coming and it's unfortunate, but there's no surprise. Mm -hmm. This, uh, the, the permitless concealed carry is downright scary. I assume living in Miami and living in South Florida that just about everyone carries a gun anyway, but this makes it legal. Right. And not only do you not need a permit to carry a concealed weapon, but you don't have to take safety training. Mm -hmm. And that to me, again, is one more campaign point for Ron DeSantis in his push for the presidency, his presumed push right. that comes at our expense. And it's a dangerous one. And Steve, no additional background check. Right. Don't forget. Going, right? Going, going back to abortion real quick, Steve, will that will this new abortion measure even stand up in court, do you think? Well, I don't know. Um, you know, the Supreme Court at first is going to have to rule. The Florida Supreme Court is going to rule on the 15 week abortion ban that the legislature passed last year. That is still under challenge in the courts. Right. Uh, I, I you know, this is a very conservative Florida Supreme Court. Um, as we've pointed out, one of the prime sponsors of the six week ban on abortions ban after six weeks is the wife of a member of the Florida Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, this is going to run through the courts. We haven't talked about this yet, but this this is a, a sign of real resistance uh, coming from other people around the state was the formation this week of a ballot initiative to put a, a abortion rights on the ballot and in the Constitution next year. Right. And we have Jerry on the line from Palm Beach Gardens. Uh, you believe that this six week clause regarding the abortion restriction is, as you say, deceitful. Jerry, what do you mean by that? Hi. Can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. Okay. Fantastic. Yes. Well, I think it kind of happened a little sneakily, if that's the correct word I'm using. It, nobody really, it was not a big event. It was kept very quiet, and he flew in, signed the, signed the bill, and it's done. And nobody really kind of knows about it, except for shows like yourself that I listen to all the time. And I thought that was really not fair. Right. It, it was commented on a lot that, that, that he uh, that this this signing did not have that much fanfare. Right. Um, Tony, Doris, you wanted to weigh in on the permitless carry law regarding regarding guns. Yeah, well, one of the things that permit requires is background checks. And, and so when you suddenly say uh, you can carry a gun around on your hip and so can everybody else, uh, it means that none of those people uh, any longer needs any additional backgrounding. I mean, yes, uh, there might be a background check required for when you first buy a gun, but there there had been one, is my understanding, uh, before when you were going to uh, have a concealed weapon, not anymore. So training and background uh, checks are, are gone. And what's scary to me is that the timing of this, this comes at a time when there's a massacre a day in the United States. Right. Or, or when Americans are shooting person. people for pulling into their driveways. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 also, Tony, uh, there was a departure, though, when Republican Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo essentially killed another bill that would have reversed the 2018 law ordering the uh, the, the purchase age for rifles and long guns, et cetera, to 18. Was that sort of a rare instance of courage on a Republican's yeah. part in this session? 
I mean, my understanding was that the resistance to that came from both sides uh, politically and that it was so fierce that that's why she backed off. Right. I don't know exactly what the timing was. Steve's up in Tallahassee, I believe. Maybe he's got a, a closer feel for that. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, it's yeah, a good just... thing that that was dropped, especially considering uh, just uh, how these things are happening so often now. Well, and considering that the 2018 law lowering the or, or, or I'm sorry, raising the age to 21 to purchase these these kinds of guns was in response to the Parkland massacre. Exactly. Yes. You know, if I may, uh, Tim, very sure. quickly, uh, uh, Senator Pasadomo pointed out to me and to others uh, in the Capitol last week. I asked about it. She was one of several legislators um, who personally went to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School after the shooting. They were down there three or four days. I, my recollection is they were down there with um, Gov Governor Rick Scott. Uh, the horror that she saw and that she uh, experienced from being there, uh, she'll never forget. And she said to me, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, I voted for the Parkland law. The Parkland law was the right decision. I don't want to undo it. What was interesting, though, is had it come to a floor vote in the Senate, there is no doubt that it uh, still likely would have passed. I, Tony made a good point about resistance right. from both sides. So it's a, it's a rare occasion of a Republican presiding officer using their influence and their leverage to stop something bad from happening. All right. I'm Tim Padgett. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're discussing the effects of the recently ended Florida legislative session. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Uh, there were other measures that uh, could have a deep impact. Nancy, I wanted to ask you about the death penalty uh, change that was made in this session. How much of an outlier, outlier, excuse me, is Florida now when you consider that it only takes eight jurors now instead of 12 unanimously to give the death penalty? I don't know. I do not know how many other states uh, do have this law. This is something that weakens the death penalty, we weakens the, the amount of debate right. and, and logic and critical thinking needed. And, and that I think a death penalty case demands from a jury. This was a direct result of the outcome, the controversial outcome of the Nicholas Cruz trial, who Right. We mentioned Parkland. Speaking of Parkland, right, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Now, Tony, uh, going back to an issue you wanted to bring up, after last December's uh, encouraging special session move on property insurance, and I'm talking about the elimination of those one-way attorney fees that were always blamed for, for hiking our, our, our premiums so much, they did pass, they, they come back to this session and they passed tort reform legislation, making it harder to sue companies including insurance companies. Is, is there a big inconsistency here between this session and what happened in the December special session? Yeah, it was just a handout to the insurance companies. And, you know, we've just seen how people, because of Hurricane Ian, are, are, are devastated out in the southwestern part of the state and trying to get insurance coverage and having a very hard time. Of, um, and so, you know, when that happens, your only choice as a consumer is to file a lawsuit. That's what's left you. The other side can do whatever they want. The insurers have huge teams of lawyers. So so to tell consumers that they're not allowed to sue or if they lose, they'll have to pay the lawyer's fees uh, is appalling. The, the bigger problem is that nothing was done in the meantime to address whatever the major causes are 
of uh, property insurance going up 30, 50 percent. Wait till the end of this year when everybody's gone through that cycle. Every homeowner finds out how much more they're going to have to pay, whether for their condo association fees or their home insurance. It's going to be an explosion of public outcry. Mm -hmm. We have Eddie on the line in Miami. Oh, I'm sorry, we do not have Eddie on the line. So, Steve, let me go to you here as we end this segment. At, at, at least, as, as your editorial mentioned, at least passing $117 billion budget went smoothly this year, and that included long-awaited raises for state workers, but then they refused to expand Medicaid when it seems that they would have had the cash to do it. Again, uh, the same question I asked Tony. Are we dealing with a huge inconsistency there? Yes, I, I don't know why, I do know why the, the re- reluctance to uh, expand Medicaid is um, is a combination of uh, lack of trust in the federal government, not seeing the federal government as a partner. Obviously, DeSantis is beating up on President Biden on a daily basis on other issues. So there's that. But Florida now is a true outlier, one of only, I think, nine or 10 states that hasn't expanded uh, Medicaid. North Carolina, a state with a legislature every bit as uh, conservative as we have here, but which has a Democratic governor. North Carolina just expanded Medicaid. It's long overdue here. All right. And one last issue I wanted to get to before we take another break here, and that has to do with elections. Um, Nancy, did this session also make it harder to register voters in a state where we are so uh, anxious filled these days about voting rights? Yes, it did crack down on third party organizations that uh, seek to register, seek to register voters. And it has made it harder. It has uh, um, erected a number of hurdles uh, from from who is collecting the the signatures to how many uh, signatures you get. Um, And so, yes, it has by design made it more difficult to uh, to register voters. Still to come in our recap of Florida's legislative session, will the results help Governor DeSantis become President DeSantis? This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're discussing the unprecedented Florida legislative session that ended last Friday and its likely effects on South Florida with Nancy Ankrum, editorial page editor of the Miami Herald, Steve Busquet, her counterpart at the South Florida Sun Sentinel, and Tony Doris, their counterpart at the Palm Beach Post. What are your thoughts about what happened in Tallahassee this year? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Now, much if not most of this legislative session was geared toward giving Governor DeSantis a litany of hard conservative victories he can take out on the presidential campaign trail should he decide to run. I want to ask all three of you if you think he's got enough here to poach away the Trump voters he'll need to win the GOP nomination. Tony? Uh, I don't think so. I, I think uh, it's it's almost humorous that he's running way behind in the polls to someone who's been twice impeached, whose corporation has been convicted of being a tax cheat, and who our columnist refers to now, thanks to his uh, court case this week, as Chester the Molester. And yet, 
Mr. DeSantis, Governor DeSantis, still way behind him. And the issues that he's picked, you know, the loosening of the gun laws, the abortion, I don't think those play out across the country in large part. And so I don't think he's helped himself at all. He's, he's trying to go mm. to the right uh, uh, on issues where he's lost the majority by a long shot. Steve, do you still see DeSantis well behind Trump even after, you know, Trump's uh, troubles this week and the week before? Yes, I do. Uh, despite what we saw this week on CNN, that horrifying uh, spectacle. That's what I was referring uh, to, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do not think at this point, I don't think DeSantis can uh, can get ahead of Trump with Republican-based voters. Now, DeSantis has to play this short game, so to speak, where he's piling up this, as he says, put points on the board with things like lax gun laws and abortion restrictions that he will help him in places like Iowa and New Hampshire but flip the coin, those same issues are going to be catastrophic for DeSantis in a general election uh, with moderate Democrats and independents being a big part of the block of, of the voting block at the polls, including in his home state of Florida. And I still think his 19 point victory, it's impressive when he ran, ran for governor last year, but it's an aberration. And I don't think the state is that sharply divided. And I, and I find all the evidence uh, constantly that that there's a growing concern that that this is a lot of this stuff is just too extreme for most Floridians. Nancy, do you do you agree? And and, and do you think at this point DeSantis will even declare his candidacy? He he needs to declare his candidacy now because he has spent a lot of our money putting putting the building blocks into place. Look, I thought Hillary was going to win in 2016, so I don't count anyone out. <laughs> right. I don't I don't think he has done himself any favors in waiting to declare his candidacy. I think that has uh, uh, forced him to pull his punches. I do think he can close that gap a bit once he is an official candidate and is 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 out there and really revealing himself to a much larger part of the Republican electorate. Can he close that gap and then overtake Trump? I really don't think so, but I'm not ruling anything out. Now, to this point about whether the things that DeSantis won at this session were too extreme, we have Paul on the line from Coral Springs. And Paul, if I'm reading this correctly, you don't feel that the guns legislation, for example, is too extreme. You feel the real issue here should be mental illness. Well, I, I partially agree with that. I'm a gun owner. I own an AR-15 and I own a sidearm. I have a security guard's license. I have an open carry license with my security guard license. Let's say they were magically able to do away with all the AR-15s in the country. The AR-15 is not the problem. The handguns are not the problem. It's the deranged people that do this. If we did away with the AR-15s, they would go to 9 millimeters, 45 caliber, 50 caliber. Those would take the place. You can unload a... Um, a nine millimeter with 15 rounds, you can unload it in less than 15 seconds. You can reload it in less than two seconds. It's not the gun, it's the mental illness. Now I am distressed that they've done away with background checks. I'm not comfortable with anybody anywhere walking in saying I wanna buy a gun and then walking out with a gun. Right, but 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 Paul, let, or, uh, let, let me also ask you though, I mean, mental illness, no one would argue with you that that is a problem as well. But would you, for example, are you in agreement with what we uh, the state did in 2018, lower or raising the age of, of purchasing these kinds of weapons from 18 to 21? 
Well, I don't know that that makes a difference. Anybody can walk in and uh, go anywhere and get a gun right now. You can go off the street, you can get a gun. Um, again, I get back to the point where only a deranged 18-year-old would execute people. Adam Lanza uh, was mentally ill. Uh, he had a gun. He took his, I think he took his mother's gun and okay. killed her and killed all his four children. Uh, okay. And uh, he was extremely mentally deranged. Okay. Well, Paul, thanks very much for your perspectives on that. Um, I, I want to turn back to the session here. One of the big things this legislative session did was amplify the state's authority over local governance. And that's lets DeSantis claim he's the man who's showing other Republican state executives around the country how to essentially nullify any liberal ordinances and programs they see in their midst. Nancy, the Herald pointed out the new law making Miami-Dade and other counties adopt sheriff's offices as a prime example, did you not? Yes, we did. Um, this is a this is an initiative that Miami-Dade voters voted down, did not want a sheriff, wanted to maintain the Miami-Dade Police Department under a an, an appointed director. The uh, legislature this year went over our heads, and we have seen this before, and pretty much nullified nullified our votes here. And so we are now we now definitely have to have a sheriff. And we also have to, they took out of our hands the debate as to whether the sheriff should have um, uh, authority over the county police department. Right. And Steve, let me ask you, I mean, when you see things like this, I mean, is, 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 is this just sort of a veiled way of allowing the governor or the state executive to intervene, for example, you know, going back to uh, the, the Broward County Sheriff um, uh, episode after Parkland, um, it's it's not as easy for a governor to intervene and and get a police chief who's under a mayor uh, replaced, but a state governor can more easily replace a sheriff. Do you think that's what's going on here? Partly, but it's true, as Nancy pointed out. It's uh, it's it's uh, Miami Dade voters voted it down, but statewide. Uh, the voters in a constitutional amendment a few years ago basically mandated that every county had to have an elected sheriff and every county has to have an elected tax collector. Broward County's experience with an elected sheriff, and I've written it many times through the years, including at the Herald where I've worked for so long, it's been an abject failure. The idea of having a partisan elected official with a gun and, and controlling a police force of political appointees to some degree is really risky. And we've seen some, a lot of bad results in Broward. We should be going in the opposite direction. We should have fewer elected sheriffs, not more. Right. I'm Tim Padgett. I'm, I'm sorry, Tony, just let me uh, do our FCC thing here. I, I'm Tim Padgett. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. We're talking about this year's unprecedented Florida legislative session. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. I'm sorry, Tony, go ahead. Yeah, Tim, I just wanted to mention maybe steal some of Nancy's uh, thunder because uh, her folks wrote a great editorial on this. One of the perfect examples of preemption. This year, the uh, legislature made it easier for fertilizer companies to get rid of their industrial waste, which is, by the way, radioactive, uh, by experiment experimenting with using it in paving, road paving, where, you know, the, the runoff can, can put uh, radioactive materials in our waterways and cause more uh, algae pollution and contamination. And, and on top of that, what they did was they passed a law saying that uh, 
Miami-Dade and other communities, many of them all over the state, can no longer regulate how fertilizer is used within their own municipalities. Right. And so they have no way to control mm -hmm. uh, contamination that, that directly threatens them. Somehow this has to be decided up in Tallahassee. Right. Well, along these lines, Steve, re regarding these fears that Florida state government feels more authoritarian, the Sun-Sentinel also emphasized in its recap editorial that Florida's often lauded sunshine laws making government information open and accessible took a big hit in this session, especially when it comes to details of the governor's activities and travels. Why is this so worrisome? Uh, this is one of the worst things this legislature uh, did this year and one of the worst things that's ever happened regarding uh, access to information. The people of Florida have a right to know who the governor is associating with, who he's hosting. They also have the right to know what special interests or, or out-of-state interests might be paying for charter jet flights. And it's even more compellingly and more important when you have a governor who's running for president of the United States, who's got to travel around the country constantly, which we've never had this before. Jeb Bush ran for president long after he left office as governor. And so this is a level of secrecy that's unprecedented in the state's history. And uh, I can't tell you what it's going to be or when, Tim, but something uh, terrible is going to happen where, uh, you know, DeSantis is going to be somewhere on somebody else's nickel or somebody else in state government is. And we're not going to have the foggiest idea how they got there and who paid for it. Right. But, Nancy, let's look at one very important measure Governor DeSantis did not win the defamation bill he was pushing that would have made it much easier for public officials like himself to sue the media on, with whom he's not really on that great of terms, at least the mainstream media or non-Fox News media, would have made it easier to sue the media for libel and slander. I, I, I know um, that this is something all three of your newspapers have published strong editorials against, uh, calling it a serious threat to free speech. Nancy, why do you think that bill died? That bill died because conservative media, bloggers, radio, stood to be dinged too. You're right. The DeSantis uh, administration does not like what I think he considers the legacy media, uh, media that tells it like it is, maybe editorially leans to the left, criticizes his initiatives. And so um, he went into revenge mode again. But this time it didn't work because um, conservatives also, conservative media, stood to be the target of defamation lawsuits. All right. Tony Doris, the, the Post also published a very strong editorial against this when it was introduced. Why do you think it died? Well, for exactly the reasons, reasons Nancy said. I mean, it would have just made it easier to sue publications, uh, even, by, uh, even by public officials who had a hard time doing that. Right. And uh, and and I heard the exact thing that Nancy heard and that mm -hmm. the conservatives in this side in this issue also were opposed to it. It also would have affected them. We have Bob on the line from Oakland Park. Uh, he feels the legislature is taking over counties and municipality municipalities, excuse me, with, uh, with regard to our discussion we just had about preemption. Bob, you're on the South Florida Roundup. Thanks. Thank you. Um, the first point I'd like to make is that these people that you're calling conservatives are not conservative. They are reactionary. Um, the second point or the second question is, is anyone looking 
at the, the south end of the state, leaving the rest of the state and becoming our own state. I, I, <laughs> well, I think for some people that might be a, uh, a, a fantasy that they conjure uh, once in a I, while, I, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if it's the reality or if there's anybody looking at this. Thank you. Uh, Steve, in 30 seconds, uh, could you answer that hypothetical question for us? Sure. I think a lot of Republicans in Tallahassee would love to see Dayton Brower become a separate <laughs> state. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. And I, I think it does deserve some level of serious consideration or discussion. Um, I think that um, we've got a, uh, a blue part of the state. We haven't right. talked about this very much today, but unfortunately, unfortunately, Steve, okay. unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. I apologize. Okay. Sure, no problem. Yeah. Steve, Steve Busquet is the South Florida Sun Sentinel's editorial page editor. Nancy Ankrum is the Miami Herald's editorial page editor. And Tony Doris is the Palm Beach Post editorial page editor. My big thanks to all of you for helping us make sense of all this. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Finally, on the roundup, Benny's on the beach is here to stay. Lake Worth Beach commissioners have approved a new lease for the beloved and iconic Palm Beach County restaurant after weeks of contentious debate. WLRN's Wilkem Brutus has more. With the jobs on the line, the stakes ahead of the commission votes were high. With a decisive 4-1 vote, commissioners approved a 10-year lease that would bring Benny's rent a little more in line with nearby oceanfront businesses. Lee Limpton is the owner of Benny's. It's more important for me that 200 people keep their jobs and that everything keeps moving forward and that hopefully together we can work with the commission and reinvest into the community and the building. If you ask Benny's director of operations, the commission's decision didn't just mean job security. It was also a vote of confidence from the community. Here's Angie Gutierrez. Of course, there's always the doubt and, and the fear of the unknown, but we, we do have to move with a little more confidence knowing how much we really do contribute to not just the city, but also for the beach itself. Benny's operates on an aging city-owned building. Commissioners say they will address repairs in future meetings. I'm Wilkin Brutus in Lake Worth Beach. That will do it for the South Florida Roundup. It was produced by Amy Sanchez. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Maers. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tim Padgett. Have a great weekend and thanks for listening. Gracias, Messi, obrigado.